0: Before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I really love to read about the life of Abraham because his life is is transformative for us. What he went through and the life of faith that he lived gives us a pattern and establishes for us how we can also live with God and we can live the life of faith and we can live the life of faithfulness as well. Abraham had what I like to call kadima faith. I love the word kadima. In Hebrew, it means forward And so Kadima faith is faith that moves us forward. Going forward for Abraham meant leaving some things behind and embracing other things. The life of faith is different from every other kind of lifestyle. What we leave and what we embrace are are unique to the life of faith. Abraham's life Included many different chapters, and his life of faith um, we'll read about over the course of several weeks. We read about the early chapters of his life of faith this week in Parshat Lachlacha. This uh, Parshat is one of my favorites, and I want you just to practice the name of it, Lachlacha. <laughs> and uh, it is such a good portion. For every believer, Abraham is the father of all who are faithful. His life is a pattern for us, and whether we were born Jewish or from another people group, this is one of the things that Paul was trying to describe when he was writing to the Romans, writing to the Italian believers and telling them uh, that it's important to look to the pattern of faith that Abraham lived. Abraham is our father because and if we walk in his steps, Paul said. If we walk in the steps of faith as he did, then Abraham is our father. It's not just a matter of having uh, ancestry. It's a matter of walking in the same pattern that Abraham walked in. So let's take some time tonight to look at Abraham's life. And I wanna start in Genesis chapter 12 in verse one. And we're gonna look at the call on Abraham's life. It says this, the Lord had said to Avram, that was his name before it was changed, Lech lecha. get yourself up and go out from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land that I will show you. You see, the call of God is a call to action. It's a call to trust. It's a call to faith and faithfulness. The two elements, faith and faithfulness, are inseparable in the Hebrew word emunah or emuna. They should not be broken apart as if they're two different things. To have faith in God means to also be faithful to God. So it's not enough to abstract faith and to render it just something that we think about. It's not just the ascent of our mind. Rather, it's something that affects every part of our being, and it affects how we live with God. To have faith means also to be faithful. So the call of God is a call to action. And the Lord says to Avram, get yourself up and go. Now this is a particularly difficult word for passive people. And for people who like someone else to take the initiative. I know people who say, well if God wants me to do something, he'll make it happen. But for Abraham, he really said something different. He said, you want something to happen, you do this. Here's the first part, get yourself up and go. The Lord would not get Abraham up. Abraham had to do the getting up. And there are times in life when we have to do the same. God speaks to us and we know you've got to take some action. And when you take that action in faithful obedience to the Lord, that's your part in response to God. So the call of God is a call to action, and this is part of faith. God calls to us, and God directs us. God leads us, but we have to get up and we have to get going. Our trust is actually revealed in the action that we demonstrate. Now, until we're actually moving, direction doesn't really matter. There are times when the Lord says, get up and I'll show you where to go. And I know for some people that's difficult because we want to hear the plan all the way through so we can critique it. Are you one of those people? Like me? You love God, you trust God, but you really want Him to be forthcoming with all the details. And I think sometimes the Lord says here's the contract and all there is is a signature page. And you say, well Lord, what about All the details, he says, well, I'll show you that later. Just sign on the dotted line right now. Just say yes now. We need direction, but we only need direction when we're moving. Otherwise, it's like steering a parked car. You know, you're sitting in the car, the engine's not even on, and you're It doesn't change anything. You've got to be moving forward, backward, this way, that way, for direction to make any difference whatsoever. Now for Abraham, there were three aspects of leaving and they can, I think, be universally applicable to us. One is, he had to leave the homeland. Second, he had to leave his greater people group. And third, he had to leave his own family and your leaving may have involved the same. I remember when Sandy and I were trying to move into Ukraine to, to live there, after having lived in Budapest, and it was so hard to get our stuff into Ukraine. In fact, the customs officials didn't believe we were bringing our personal possessions in. They thought we were trying to sneak in and that we were really secret furniture dealers. And that we were gonna sell our stuff and make money and then split. And here's the reason why. They couldn't imagine at that time that anyone would want to bring their stuff in and live there. Because everyone was trying to get out, if they could. And the people who were staying, they were secure, but there were really almost no people who were trying to get in. I used to laugh and I I told my grandfather who had been born in Western Ukraine, which had at various times been Poland, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Ukraine, and who knows what else but I I told him, you worked, your father worked so hard to get you out, and now we're having to work so hard to get it back in. Well, eventually they let us back in with our stuff, but they made us uh, inventory every single item that we brought down to the most minute details. And we had to document it. And when it was time for us to leave, we had to prove that we were bringing everything back out. They did not want us to leave anything behind. And there were certain things we just wanted to give away. Our TV that we had in Budapest that worked in Budapest and it worked in Ukraine did not work in the United States. very different system. But they wouldn't let us leave it. We had to take it with us, and it was just, it was hilarious for us. But you know, every Jewish person who has come to know Messiah has experienced a kind of leaving, and it's, it's like this. Your family may not fully understand what you're doing. They may not misunderstand, but they may not agree. And they may feel like you have to make a choice, be faithful to us, or do what you think you should do. And so for many Jewish families, when, when one of the members comes to Yeshua, it feels to them like betrayal. It feels like treachery. It feels like uh, abandonment. My own mother thought I was becoming potentially a Nazi. Yeah, she thought, why would you do this? It's impossible for you to do it. And I had to explain that I didn't have a change of heart regarding my people or my God. But I wanted to have a life with God, like I was reading about in the scriptures. A life of faith and a life with a God who was alive, a God who who spoke. And I wanted to hear the Lord, I wanted to follow him. And of course that sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? You know, when you say, well, yeah, I hear the voice of the Lord, you wonder, okay, does that person need to see a psychiatrist or adjust their medication? Or... No, because there's a spiritual voice that you can hear. Each one of us has been created by God with the capacity to hear the spiritual voice of God, to discern and to recognize His voice. But there's a leaving that each one of us goes through that requires that all that's familiar not hold us um, disproportionately. We thank the Lord for everything that has been part of our uh, past, part of our coming to whatever present we're in, but we don't wanna be bound, we don't wanna be locked into those things. We want to recognize their value, but really, they are not just valuable because of the past, they're valuable if and only if they help us move forward in life. Many of us have moved to get here and that's partly because we're in Jacksonville, Florida. But we were born elsewhere. How many, how many people in the room right now were born elsewhere? Can I see a show of hands? How many people were born here in Jacksonville? Okay, it's good, there's like five. Maybe, maybe that's an overestimate. People were born in other countries. How many were born in other countries? Can I see a show of hands? A good number. More people were born in other countries than born in Jacksonville. Our first language may have been different as well. But for some of us, it's not the physical move as much as it is the change of community. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 and look at the next few verses, verses two and three. The Lord makes these statements to Abraham and they are subsequent to having said to Abraham, get yourself up and go out to the land I will show you and there I will um, there I will um, Lead you, But you've gotta do the, the getting up and getting out. But here are the details of God's promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now that last phrase, you shall be a blessing, is, is not rendered in the Hebrew as a future tense, as if this is something that's going to happen but rather it's in the imperative voice. And so it could be translated as as Buber renders it, be thou a blessing, or you are to be a blessing. It's a commanding word that God is saying to Abraham, be a blessing. So when we really embrace the life of faith that Abraham has, we're embracing the call of Abraham in these conditions, which include this response to God, be a blessing. Now, being a blessing doesn't necessarily mean be a blessing to everyone you want to be a blessing to, but be a blessing to everyone. It's not so selective. Try to find ways to be a blessing to anyone you come in contact with. It's a high calling. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse And all peoples on earth will bless themselves through you. It's an interesting construction, that last phrase. All peoples on earth will bless themselves. It's reflexive. In other words, in their engagement with you, they will learn to bless themselves. They will learn to see how you have been so good and such a good example that it's a blessing to them. Sometimes when we read the stories in the scriptures about people who, who live faithfully with God. It's inspiring. We see the challenges that they went through. We see the attitudes that they had. We see the, the victories that they experienced. And we actually find ourselves being strengthened and fortified. Has that ever happened to you? You're, you're going through some difficulty and you're just wondering, can I make it? And then you read the story of someone who went through something even harder than you did. And not only did they make it, they thrived, and they, they came through it in such a way that it was inspiring and motivating. That's an example of learning to bless yourselves through Abraham. So when we think about Abraham's future, the promises of God regarding what his life is about, think about these three things. He leaves a land in order to receive a land. He leaves a nation in order to become a nation. He leaves his father in order to become a father. The journey that each one of us takes may be different, but since Abraham is our father, his experiences will be repeated in our lives. Different details, we could say, but the same kind of pattern. And this is echoed in a conversation that Peter had with Yeshua. So you can turn to Mark. I hope you have your Bibles so that you can follow along with me. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 28. Peter began to speak up and he said to Yeshua, we've left everything to follow you. And Yeshua said, yes, you did. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or property, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with, are you still reading? Along with persecution. Boy, it sounded so good up until that point, didn't it? (laughs) But Yeshua is, is always telling us the truth, even when the truth is hard. But he's telling us something. He's saying, to follow me could cost you everything. But you will get back something like what you left. The kinds of things you left, the kinds of people you left, it may even be the same people. But when they return to you, or you return to them, it will be with multiplication. But he says, if, if the leaving, if the separation, is not because you were cranky, it wasn't because you were hard to get along with, it was because you were following the Lord and pursuing the good news that he had for you. If that's what caused the separation, if that's what caused the loss, you'll get it back a hundred times. In this lifetime. And then he adds this last detail. And you'll also have persecutions. Now if you're still in a good mood, smile at the person who you chose to sit closest to and say, with persecutions. With persecutions. It's not easy. Boy, you did not like doing that, I can tell. It is not easy with persecutions. It will cost us something. It goes on, in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So in this life, in this world, there's a cost, but there's a blessing and reward. But in the world to come, there's even greater reward. Verse 31, but many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You see, the world system of measuring status and stature and value and worth is broken. The world system measures the wrong things. We measure the power to destroy, the power to get our own way. We measure um, independence, the, the ability to do what we want to do. These are indications of being successful, autonomous, and having reached um, a high measure of status. But God's views are very different. The the power of God is revealed as we declare every time we say the gevurah, by his ability to restore. His power lifts up those who are falling. His power heals the sick. His power pours out grace upon the brokenhearted. His power heals. His power shows compassion. His power... His power resurrects. The power of God is not measured by his ability to destroy, but by his ability to restore. And in the same way, our power is not measured by our ability to do harm to others or just to get our own way, but by our strength in doing good for other people. Now, our greatness can be compared to the source of Abraham's greatness, At any moment, we may seem insignificant. Our true value may be invisible, but even so, we're called to be great blessings to others now in this world. Now there are three things I wanna focus on that are habits and and part of the lifestyle of people who live the life of faith. And I wanna just go through these pretty quickly The the first one is this. People who live the life of faith have recognition of God. The recognition of God is actually necessary to make a beginning for the life of faith. We we have to recognize that God exists. We have to recognize that he's real. Now I was following some of the um, public declarations of Richard Dawkins just the other day, and Dawkins, who is really quite an intelligent person at some levels, is remarkably foolish at other levels. And he's, he came up with what he considers to be an absolute statement that there is no God. And there cannot be a God. And then he made this, this simple declaration. The universe came into existence out of nothing on its own. And I thought, for a scientist, you gotta be really stupid to say that. Because nothing comes into existence on its own. Everything has causes and sources of being. And I thought, if this is even interesting to people, that he could say this. If if some people would read what Richard Dawkins said or hear what he said and think, yeah, that's proof, it's not proof. It's a kind of faith in an unintelligible process. So for a scientist to say, the whole universe came into existence out of nothing, with nothing, It's spontaneously generated. You know, one day there will be scientists who will consider that to be the stupidest of things to say. I'm in favor of it being today. The idea of spontaneous generation has been long disproved, you know, centuries ago. And for someone to say, okay, I, I know that microbes can't spontaneously generate. I know that these invisible things, you know, that are, They're invisible because they're too small. They can't spontaneously generate. We know that, but the most complex, the most complex matter in the universe can? That's ridiculous. And so, Richard, if you're listening and you need some help, just contact me and we'll help you get straightened out on this. You see, the life of faith does require the recognition of God. We have to recognize that God is not only in existence, he's real, and we need to recognize that he is God, not something else. He's not the uh, product of our own imagination. He doesn't exist because we need him to exist. He exists because he exists. He's personal. He knows you. He knows your name. He created you. He has plans for you. He has prepared a future for you. We see this in the life of Abraham. God calls Abraham by name, and Abraham responds. And it's this call and response that is part of the life of faith. It requires of us recognition. Now here's the thing. When you recognize that you recognize God, that's a turning point. When you realize, I recognize that God exists. I recognize he's reaching out to me. It's important to be clear with yourself and to say clearly to yourself, I see what's happening. God is opening himself up to me and I'm responding to him. So the recognition of God, this is number one. Without that, it's really impossible to go very far. The the second thing I want to emphasize is that fellowship with God is part of the life of faith. The life of faith develops as we fellowship with God. And that means we spend time with Him, being aware of His presence and we interact with Him. I was talking to my sister Karen after years of uh, difficulty in our relationship when I became a believer. Difficulty because she did not feel comfortable asking me anything about what was going on in my life, now that I was a believer in Yeshua. And uh, after seven years, she decided to sit me down and ask her most serious of questions. So she said, tell me what you believe. Which was really interesting, because that's what I said to Pat Pritchard that got me uh, into a new direction. And so I told her that I believed that God was alive, and that he was personal, and that he heard us, and that he answers us. And she, she just started laughing and said, you're right, that is like so big. Because we both grew up in the same synagogue, conservative Jewish synagogue, named coincidentally Beth Israel, um, not Beth Israel, Messianic synagogue, and not in Jacksonville but in Roanoke, Virginia. And of course, like every synagogue, we prayed to God. But she said, can you imagine if God answered us in the synagogue? You know, we're talking to him, but what would happen to all of us if we heard him answer us? And she burst out laughing and said, that would change everything. That's what happened to Abraham. He heard the Lord and it changed everything. And when you start fellowshipping with God, not just thinking about God, not just approaching Him as a subject, but when you have fellowship with Him, it changes things. And one of the ways to become more aware of God's presence is to say to the Lord, He name me, here I am. He name me, here I am. Lord, here I am. I'm here. Tell him your name if you're not sure he knows your name. Hey, it's me, David, that guy. Here I am. But something else happens when you make yourself available to the Lord and when you say, He nani, here I am, send me. Give me an assignment. Tell me something to do. Over the years, people have come to me and said, I want to hear the Lord. But I haven't had great success. And I said, well, I'll tell you one thing you can do. And everyone I know who has done this has had a response. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, command me to do anything you want. Just command me. Tell me. And when you hear, you'll know. Your response may be, oy, I wish I hadn't heard it may be, that's not what I meant for you to tell me, but you will know that you heard. But here's the best thing to do when God shows you something to do, do it. Now, one of the best ways you can do that is read the scriptures faithfully, and you'll find that God uses the scriptures to speak to you, to make you aware of things to draw your attention to things that may not have seemed significant, important, or even useful. You may not even have believed in some of the things that are in the Bible up to that point. But God can use the scriptures to show you things that he wants to get your attention about and then to speak to you about doing those things. And when that happens, the best response is, yes, sir. Then you do what he shows you to do, and then you come back and you say, I did what you showed me. What's next? Show me the next thing. And I can assure you of this. When you have that servant's attitude and that willingness to be given an assignment and to do what the Lord wants you to do, not necessarily what you want to do, and then you do it, you'll get another assignment. And step by step, you will go further with God than if you just sit around waiting for something huge or big or for all of your questions to be answered. Third part, third quality of a relationship with God of the life of faith is to listen to the Lord. It's really very simple. These all interact. They're not mutually exclusive things to recognize God, to have fellowship with God, and to listen to the Lord. And I, I want to just repeat one line from this week's Torah portion. It's Genesis 12, verse 1. It says this, And the Lord said to Abraham. Repeat that with me. And the Lord said to Abraham. That is so radical. It's the idea that God speaks and we listen. The Shema is actually based on this concept, that God speaks and we hear. Shema Yisrael. Listen, Israel. Listen. Listen to what? Listen to the Lord. That's what. It's more, listen to who? The Lord speaks and we listen. The life of faith is really exciting because we learn to listen to the Lord. We learn to hear the voice of the Lord. We, we listen to what he says. And the best way that I know how to develop a listening ear is by reading the scriptures. The scriptures themselves are active and alive. They will energize your faith. They will reveal to you. They will reveal to you truth. They will tell you what is good in God's eyes. They will open up your understanding. They will cause you to think differently. They will inform you about stuff you never knew about even though you may have thought you knew about life and relationship and so forth. The scriptures are not just written. They are active and alive. They're sharper than a two-edged sword. They can make distinction inside of you between the things in your soul and the things in your spirit. They can they can restructure your lives. When we read the the accounts in the writings of the Tanakh about renewal and restoration, revival in the Jewish people, there's something that's almost always primary, and that is the scrolls of the Torah are recovered. They were put somewhere. They were put into a library or a storehouse, and they were kept there. They existed, but they were not consulted. And then they are rediscovered, and people read them afresh and anew, and they realize what they've been missing. It energizes, it transforms, it completely renovates the people of God. And the power of God is revealed that way even today. One reason I never call the Tanakh the Old Testament is because Old Testament sounds like it's really old. And I don't mean in age, I mean in in value and utility. You know, like it's, it's a dusty thing that belongs on a shelf somewhere. Oh yeah, that's the old. Testament, the Tanakh is a different way of describing it, the Torah, the first five books of Moses that give us foundational instruction, Nevaim, the prophets, Ketuvim, the writings, all of these work together and they become a foundation for our faith. The apostles were very clear about this that the Tanakh is inspired by God and useful for salvation in Messiah Yeshua. And they will reveal to us um, the truth of God. So we need to learn to listen, and it's not just to listen to the subjective things that we experience, but to listen to the objective word of God. To be a good student of the word, to take it to heart, listening also includes hearkening. And hearkening is like an old English word that still has value, though you probably can't use it on an everyday basis. When I was a kid, I would hear these Christmas carols and there was one that I didn't really understand. I thought it said something like, hark, herald the angel. (laughs) But it actually had different words than that. But hearkening means to to listen, to pay attention, and then to put into action. To hear and to do is another way. It's a biblical way of describing it. You see, as we learn to listen, we learn to do. There's no reason to listen if we're not going to respond. Have you ever talked to teenagers? Sorry, guys. Um, Present company accepted. And you think you're talking to a stone wall Or have you ever been a stone wall? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and people talk to you and all sounds went in one ear and out the other without having any positive effect. Those of you who are teachers, Caroline, maybe you have some students like this. You talk to them, and it it seems that physically they hear, but it's like the power of words has no transforming effect on them. Maybe it comes across to them as something like this, blah, 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 blah. And they go, meh. <laughs> to hearken to God is so important. There's, there's a need to respond. Because obedience is one of the things that we embrace. Obedience means this. The Lord says something, so we do it. That's what obedience is. We leave the life of independence from God, and we embrace a life where God not only saves us from sin, but he leads us, and he mentors us, and he instructs us, and he fellowships with us. He loves us, but he has direction for us. Now, I want to close with the idea that faith and love are action words. They're not just words about emotions and feelings. They speak to us about our actions. And let me give you three scriptures from from the New Covenant writings that very succinctly speak about this. The first one is Luke chapter six, verse 46. And Yeshua said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? The second one is Matthew 7, verse 21, where Yeshua says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then the third one is from James, or Yaakov, chapter 1, verse 22. That says this, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. That's a really nuanced statement. Be a doer, and not only a hearer. It's good to be a hearer. It's good to be a listener. But if that's all we are, it's Insufficient. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourselves. So the life of faith is a a life of action. It's a lifestyle. Now, it's important to say that many people misunderstand the actions that are associated with the life of faith. And they have this idea that there is like this heavenly scale of some sort. And the way you get into heaven is you accumulate enough good deeds, that you your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, and now you have earned a heavenly merit badge. And that idea is sort of like uh, Boy Scouts, if you will. You know, if you do enough things, you get the merit badge. If you have enough merit badges, then you've fulfilled the obligations and so forth. That's not how it is in the kingdom of God. It's not that you are earning reconciliation with God. But it is that you're demonstrating a right relationship with God. Because God is interested in congruency. He's interested in our actions and our heart condition being the same. Working together, not being at odds. Now I know this, I'm imperfect. How many can verify that? Thank you very much. It's well known. You're imperfect. How many can verify that? It also is well known. Actually, we are all imperfect. At our best, we are flawed human beings. And we can never be so good that God will look at us and say, well, you know what? You're just the best there ever was. You are perfectly righteous and you deserve everything. It's by the grace of God that he loves us. In the same way that it's by your grace that you love a child or a grandchild. They're born into the world. They haven't done anything good. In fact, when they're newborn, what can they do? They can cry, they can poop, (laughs) spit up a little bit, and go, and you love them. You love them. They'll keep you from sleeping at night, and you love them. You love them for years. You love them for years and years and years. Yeah. Because you you have love that is gracious. They didn't earn it. Am I right? You freely gave it to them. You chose. In the same way God freely chooses to show love to you, you can't earn it. But what is he looking for? He's looking for a heart that's turned to God, that, that is turned in his direction, that, that recognizes him, that responds to him, that fellowships with him, that listens to him. He's looking for that. Not someone who's detached and uninterested. The scripture says this, if you search for the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. He will always be found by those who are searching with all their hearts. Always. So, don't get this part wrong. Your actions are not the key to winning God's favor. Your actions are born out of fellowship with the Lord and having learned that you recognize that what he says is good is really good. It's good for you, it's good for others. And you want to do those things that he calls you to do and speaks to you about. It's important to get that right or else you'll, 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 you'll separate these two ideas of faith and faithfulness and then you'll break them because they, they cannot be separated, they, they belong together. Our trust in God, as James says, is shown by the things that we do. It, but don't fall for this ultra-religious idea that you can merit you can merit God's approval. You can't, because if he ever were to grade you without any curve of grace, you would fail. If he were ever to grade you strictly according to all the things you did wrong, you would fail. So don't get that part wrong. Well, I want to pray for us as we're moving forward in the scriptures this year that our hearts would really be stirred to know the Lord, to fellowship with him, to see him in action, and to connect our lifestyle with his word because as we do this you know what we're not only a greater blessing to other people but people around us who are looking for god will be able to find god when they connect to us let's pray lord thank you for your mercies your fresh mercies thank you for the authority of your scriptures the authority of your word in our lives we are so grateful that your word is still active and still alive it's still having an effect on us. Thank you that the lives of the faithful who we read about are so inspiring to us and so useful to us. Let it be that we learn and we learn well from their examples so that we too could be children, sons and daughters of Abraham. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. We're gonna close with Aaron's blessings. Would you please rise if you're by yourself? Move a little bit so you're not by yourself. Thank you, Mike Gordon, for joining me. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.